management consultant's journey and challenges in the times of COVID-19. In this Bernie Chats with Adam Colazetti, we'll have a free-flowing chat about his firm's digital transformation, team building, managing your side hustle, the future of the petroleum industry, and green energy. Let's get into it. Hey everybody, welcome to Bernie Chats. We're with Adam Colazetti today from Enta Solutions, a consulting firm based in Calgary, and we're going to speak with him about a number of topics. And we're going to have a free-flowing chat about different things regarding business and his company. Unfortunately, his lovely partner's not here to join us today. We'll hopefully have a follow-up session with uh, Caitlin at some point. Adam, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Elevator pitch, if you will. Sure. So my name is Adam Colazetti. I'm from Calgary, Alberta. Um, as you said, my uh, business partner, Caitlin, is not here, but uh, Enta Solutions, we are a management consulting firm, and we like to say we specialize in perpetual epicness. But what is that? <laughs> uh, perpetual meaning that businesses need to make money to keep going and to keep changing. Um, epicness meaning whatever you're doing, we want people to think, wow, that was freaking epic, whether that's your customer service or how you're showing yourself on social media, or if it's a new idea that's super cool, that's uh, going to disrupt your respective industry. So is epic more or less your your mission? Yeah, that's kind of our, our mantra. Yes. How did you and Caitlin get into the consulting business? Oh, well, there's a story. <laughs> there always there's sure there <laughs> So we're both engineers. I'm an aerospace engineer. And uh, Caitlin is a materials engineer. So um, the long and short of it is Caitlin's materials engineer. She got involved in quality management and we both worked, we both worked for a bunch of large companies. I spent the beginning parts of my career in aerospace and defense where the process rigor is really intense because, you know, if, if something breaks on an airplane, it falls out of the sky. The consequences are so high, mm -hmm. um, you know, versus your washer dryer stops working. Right. Right. Uh, so the engineering rigor and the, the, the process is much different um, or at least more intense. So fast forward, I worked in oil and gas and then construction of high rise. And I, I found a lot of success taking what I knew from defense and aerospace and applying kind of a toned down version to other industries because they didn't need, you know, the Cadillac. But the Volkswagen would be pretty good. Um, mm. And I just found that. I was much better trained and then I liked it. And I always said, uh, the story is Caitlin and I met uh, working for um, a large engineering firm and we were working on a pipeline project. We were designing pipelines and it was a kind of a nightmare project with difficult client with a lot of external pressures, as you can imagine, politics and, and media scrutiny on pipelines. Sure. And you know, yada, yada, we got the drawings out. It was a big celebration. And then a few days later, you know, the project manager comes right out with having a panic attack because they started construction in the wrong place, which means they cleared a whole bunch of trees in the wrong place. Wow. And, you know, wow, what happened, right? So Caitlin, being the quality manager, was tasked with doing an investigation and discovering the root cause of this. And it ended up being just a paperwork issue. So when we issued our drawings, um, you know, we it was at Rev two. We didn't change the little box in the corner to a three to make it Rev three. So the construct the contractor received the drawings, looked at the revision numbers. Oh, I have Rev two, and threw them out. 
So that's it. It was one number. And uh, uh, that was kind of our epiphany. And we Caitlin and I looked at each other and we we're like, you know, a lot of project work like this, the, the timelines are so intense, the demands are huge. And we're making these decisions without fully understanding the risk involved, right? The team members maybe don't understand why is there this process step and not connecting with what it was. Um, otherwise you may have behaved a little differently. So we said, well, you know, there's pages and pages of these process documents that read like legal documents, right? We all know they're there, but no one's ever read them, mm. right? We're, we're, it's really more tribal knowledge that's being passed. So is there a way where we can create this type of systematic structure that actually connects with people that drives with them? And this is kind of where the whole business um, came out about. So we said, hey, let's start a company. Right. Uh, we like doing this stuff. Seems like nobody else does. So maybe there's a niche here. You know, and at that time in 2015, everyone was getting laid off anyway. So we thought, hey, what do we got to lose? So yeah, 2015 was a downturn in the um, petroleum industry in general, especially mm -hmm. in Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of a rough time and it, it was really interesting to watch from a cultural perspective. You were in the petroleum industry for how long? Uh, four years. Four years. Okay. Yeah. So, so what do you, how do you see this whole thing evolving with, uh, with the, the current economy, more electric cars, um, um, you know, different people wanting to do different things. I was actually in, in uh, I was doing social media and webmaster work for a large uh, natural gas company around mm -hmm. the time of the oil recession in Alberta, let's say. That natural gas was what we call the bridge fuel. The conclusion was that it's not really feasible to just jump from petroleum to green energy. There has to be something to bridge that and it has to be a progression, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you think of that concept and how do you see this evolving? Do you, what, what do you think the future of the oil patch is? You know, I worked specifically in the oil patch for four years, but I've lived in Calgary my whole life. So, right. you know, pretty much everybody around me works in the oil patch and, and that's how they earn their living. And, uh -huh. you know, it, it, it's funny because people that work in the oil patch, I would say are the biggest, most stronger, strongest believers in things like clean oil and sustainability and green. Like they work very hard to make sure that that's done a very certain way. But I think in terms of the history of the oil patch, and I'll make some generalizations here. You know, I, I know someone might hear this and disagree with a specific example, and I know they're out there, but I think when an industry or a group of people are making a lot of money being very successful, there's no motivation to innovate because with innovation comes risk because you don't know if it'll work, right? Mm -hmm. And frankly, most innovations fail. You fail a lot more times before you succeed, right? So- When you're innovating, yeah. Yeah, you're trying new stuff. Bunch of them are not gonna work, right? Sure. So there's a risk associated with that. So what happened is the industry got used to being successful by executing in a certain manner and therefore they became very risk averse because say, well, why would I risk? Why would I do that different? Mm -hmm. You know, and if I'm in a company and it's competitive, we're all climbing the corporate ladder. Why would I do something? Why would I risk my position if I'm in a competitive, you know, climb or race to the top? So right. you see this like cycle of like motivation and, and kind of what had happened here. The second thing is if everyone's really, things are very great, things that people are happy, 
I don't need to worry so much about, uh, you know, vulnerability and leadership skills and performance managing and building trust with my team. As long as they're executing, doing stuff, everyone is being successful. No one's upset. It's great. And that went on for a long period of time. But what it did was it built a house of cards. So boom, 2008 happens. Boom, it happens again in 2015. Now all of a sudden people are losing their jobs. Now all of a sudden people are worried. And what you ended up with is on the leadership side, I think you didn't have that trust established. You know, gen again, generally I'm speaking, I'm sure there's pockets of greatness happening everywhere, but mm, sure. um, in a big company scenario, that trust isn't there, right? You didn't build it. You didn't put energy into it. You didn't have those Dungeons and Dragons games, right? Like that kind of stuff. Right. So, You're just riding the wave. Yeah. And then, then you, you get this like, kind of negativity and then layoffs start happening and, and the coast of cards comes crashing down right um so now you know kind of the new era price of oil whether it's 50 dollars or 60 dollars, it's not 100 110 right mm -hmm. um now all of a sudden innovation looks pretty good right because the old ways of doing things you're not going to get the same returns right so what i'm seeing is a lot of technology startups um, mm. technology that can help you get more out of an abandoned well, for example, mm. or on the sustainability side saying, Hey, you've got these big compressors out in the field or turbines. Why not take a turbine on the exhaust from this compressor and produce green power? Like, why don't we do that mm. and sell the power? Like, why don't we, where we have water runoff, why don't we stick a turbine in there and get some clean energy? So you're starting to see these innovations pop up all over the place. Um, right. I think the industry at, at large is, is slow to move. Just there's a lot of history there. It's a huge industry. Um, yeah. There's a lot yeah. of infrastructure. Exactly. Like social media, for example, like oil and gas people I meet in there, they're the last one. They're like, no, I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Um, so we're starting to see these, these innovative startups pop up. And uh, I'm really excited to see in the next few years you know, where this goes, because you're 100% right, sustainability, green energy, not as oil dependent, not as gas dependent. Um, that's, that's what the public is, is demanding, you know, whether or not everyone is educated on the subject mm -hmm. uh, is, is a, maybe a different conversation. But I think there's definitely a, it's pushing the industry to diversify um, at the same time as all this COVID stuff happening. So you, know, you got a lot of change happening really fast. And I think, mm. you know, people's heads are spinning a little bit. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. I, I guess the gist of what you were saying there is the oil companies are optimizing what they're doing to get the most out of the least amount of resources, right? Mm. Is that part of it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, so that's, so becoming more efficient mm -hmm. and then, and then I guess from there transitioning is the next level to whatever, to wind, to hydro, is that kind of the I, way I you think so. Like, I'm sure there's there's other people far more educated on the intricacies sure. of, of the industry that could speak to it better than myself. Sure. But I think, yeah, that there, there's an openness or a willingness or a, or a pressure to explore some of these new yeah. alternatives, right? I think, you know, one of the things that maybe we learned from down in Texas, for example, is that it can't be all or nothing, right? 
you need a nice mix so that the infrastructure can grow and support the needs of the people, the needs of the country, the economy of the country. Yeah. It, you know, the country is a bit divided right now between oil or not oil, depending on where you are in Canada. Right. Um, I, I think the truth of it generally lies in the middle, right? It's, yeah, definitely. The Take the middle path. <laughs> exactly. And that, you know, that, that's a funny thing, right? If you, if you ask people who are either extreme one way or the other, you're like, great, do it. And as soon as they talk implementation and doing it, and that's interesting. Yeah, one of the bright lights or the or the the positive things in the whole thing is that there's a lot of new thinking coming into the industries, right? The people that are entering those industries or that entered over the past ten or 15, 20 years, they have a different mindset than than what has traditionally been going on. They're much more media savvy. They're much more aware of the environment and and different factors. And I'm sure universities and engineering are probably teaching a lot more about about alternative energy and stuff mm -hmm. so i mean the people who run the oil patch and are the stewards of that if you will you know they're they're people too they want a clean environment as well right <laughs> yeah absolutely and I, I think they want to save the environment that they you know they they want uh, a future for their kids like everybody does of course we do it's just a matter of evolving in a way that can economically sustain what we've built, right? It doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, if you think about it with all the recessions and layoffs that are happening, you've got a lot of very highly trained, smart people without work right now, right. sitting around just thinking of stuff, right? <laughs> so in a way you're like priming the world for, for startups, for innovation, for new companies, for this, that, and the other thing. So you've got this primordial soup, I guess, if you will, of idea people with time and energy, I think it would be really exciting to see kind of what, what comes of this. Yeah, I think so too. I think we're in for a lot of positive changes when we come out of this dark tunnel. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? and, and sometimes I think, you know, in hindsight, we, we say, oh, that was amazing. But you realize at the time that you came out of the tunnel already, <laughs> even though it's still hard. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I was watching a podcast with Brene Brown and Simon Sinek, and uh, one of the rapid fire questions to Simon Sinek was, what are you most excited for in the next 10 years? And his mm -hmm. answer was, the world. And you're like, wow, really? Like, we're in a recession, it's COVID. Why are you excited for the world? And he said, because of all this happening, we are being forced to ask questions that we never bothered at asking before. That's right. It has shifted our perspective. We are reevaluating things that we took for granted before, assumptions that we made that we didn't even make we were making. And, you know, I think a lot of great is going to come of this, and I can't wait to see what that is. And I thought, what a beautiful answer. I really enjoyed that. That's great. Things are fine and dandy when everyone's making money, but when, you know, the legs get pulled out of you, now all of a sudden you can see where the holes are in things like leadership and trust and, you know, the people dynamics. Right. Um, so you took so a leap of faith at that time. You took a leap of faith that people would would want your services at that time in a declining market, right? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people said you're crazy. And we said, well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. We just feel like it's the right thing to do. And it was kind of a on-the-side passion project for a while. And then Great. That's, ex that's exactly what happened is because of the petroleum downturn and people that we worked with went 
either got laid off or left and you know there was musical chairs happening in the industry um companies are now taking a look inward and saying hey we're not making money hand over fist we need to have a look at how we're doing things why are we doing things um you know there, there's a greater demand for social purpose now from consumers from people right people mm-hmm. want to know they're buying from you know someone that believes in clean in oil and environmental and sustainable energy and all these things right that you're giving back to the community so in a way the recession drove a market for our type of services which we were right. lucky enough so how's the journey been? Has it been, did you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to, we're going to go into business and it's going to be this way. And did it turn out exactly that way or, or were things a little different along the journey? No, it's, it's been an adventure. Um, <laughs> Usually you know, we can't, yeah, you know, there's a couple, there's two big things that, that happened that, you know, right. we, we came from a world of engineering. So we thought, Hey, like, let's, let's try and sell our services to engineers because engineers very smart, but very analytical. And although they're very good at what they do, they often suffer on the team building side of things with companies. Mm-hmm. The culture of, uh, is often stressed because, um, you know, sometimes those pe- people skills aren't as strong. They, they need those extroverts of the group, right? But we quickly found that that didn't work very well because uh, engineers are already convinced they know how to do everything anyways. So hard right. to tell. <laughs> they didn't get the, so- the soft skilled side. Exactly. Yeah. Show me the calculation that shows that will improve my business. And we're like, well, I can't just kind of have to believe it a little bit. And that's the tricky part of some of these more uh, intrinsic. um, So do you, do you actually do uh, like a corporate culture assessment where you, you bench line benchmark uh, employee satisfaction and things like that, or. Yeah, we have um, a couple of things. We have a free kind of business evaluation. It's just a, quick and easy 20 question survey right. that helps you gauge kind of where you are in, in a variety of, of areas. Great. And that's, you know, you can pull that off our website for free, but we also do, so our culture program, this is, this is kind of how it all ties together. So we have a culture program. It's called bedrock of success. Bedrock of success. Yeah. And uh, the first thing we do is we survey everybody and we ask them about your own personal values and that what you think the company's values are. And then we look for matches later and we ask people, you know, what do they think the vision of the company is and what do they do and all that. And then, you know, we just, we use that to start the conversation with a company about defining their values, defining their vision and and their mission, right? Like here's 30 people, you know, there's 25 different descriptions of, of what you do. So this is where we start because we want to make sure that we connect with whatever we build to people. So if people say that, hey, entrepreneurship is just a core of our business, we love new ideas, we love innovation, we're always in for trying something new, then you better build a, a process that allows for that, right? You're not going to build a you know, strict, sort of rigid, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this type answer. But back to your, your original question about things changing. So this is how we ended up dealing with these small, medium-sized businesses because we switched gears. Feedback from social media really helped guide us uh, to our, our target market. The second thing that happened was, of course, a year ago, almost exactly now when COVID hit, um, naturally, consultants, everybody 
kind of freaked out and consultants were the first phone call to stop all services and projects. So we very quickly in a couple of weeks lost, um, you know, pretty much all <laughs> contracts. We had a few wow. little ones that didn't, but yeah, pretty scary. We we're dead in the water. And I actually, I blew my Achilles. I was at the gym uh training i was doing muay thai you were doing muay thai okay i I knew we were going to get around to muay thai and martial (laughs) arts at some point yeah so so yeah my achilles blew and that was like five days before the the lockdowns wow that's that's a really painful and serious thing yeah it was very uh very loud very violent really Um, loud wow so you must have been right, right on the ground in fear with that yeah, I was just kind of standing there and I lifted my knee up and then there was this explosion. Like wow. it sounded honestly like a, like a floorboard cracking. Yikes. How is it now? You kind of look around like, and then my leg just didn't work. It was just done. So wow. I was on crutches, you know, the business was dead and we were like, well, what to do? So, you know, kind of grim, right? And they have to go in there. Do they have to go in there and fish it out and pull it back or something like that? Uh, sometimes, like sometimes it'll snap and it'll like roll up, yeah. but uh, lucky mine didn't do that. Oh, but yeah, cool. they used to do surgery always. Like my, it happened to my dad when he was young, he's got a huge scar, but uh, actually what they do is they put your foot in a cast with your foot pointed mm-hmm. and it just grows back together. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, I was just in a, so I was in a cast for, I think it was a month or something. And then, um, and then you get one of those boots, those air boots that you can take on yeah, and off yeah. to shower. And then it had lifts in it. And every week I would take a lift out and slowly like flatten my foot out. Wow. Um, so yeah, I was only, I was only about 10 or 11 weeks before wow. I had that off and I could kind of walk again. <laughs> so I'll have to go through. I did a full year um, with a full length cast. So, so I can kind of relate to oh, wow. okay. the anguish to go through. <laughs> yeah no i got uh very efficient with my traveling because you know, yep. i became an expert on crutches yeah I, I was i could get around pretty well and i actually i had my hip replaced in last october oh my god <laughs> so my good leg was the one with the dead hip and my my bad leg was not so <laughs> that was a mess so how much of this it? is related to muay thai and how far did you go into muay thai did you reach i don't know if it's a black belt level in muay thai or what it is yeah, so I started when I was a kid. I was 12 years oh, old when wow. I started. So Why Muay Thai? I, it's not that common for kids. No, at the time, let's see, a lady that worked with my dad, her brother was a world champion and he worked okay. at, he taught at, at one of the gyms in town. So nice. He's like, hey, let's try it. And at that time I was in, um, played a lot of hockey and soccer. Yep. And I was having issues with a lot of retaliatory outbursts. <laughs> so my parents were looking for a way to maybe give me something to channel that energy. Yeah. And so, yeah, Muay Thai presented itself. And I, I went on the first day and, you know, we did some jumping jacks and did some punches. And then and then he uh, showed me this really cool move where you pull someone's hands down and throw a knee. And I'd say I was hooked. I never stopped going. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, I just this is amazing. This is awesome. Good. So yeah, flash forward. Now I have a third degree black belt in Muay Thai and I teach it. Well, I was teaching before the lockdown anyways. Right. And uh, yeah, it's a huge part of my life. That's now, great. Probably, probably always will be. But 
to your question, yes, throwing thousands and thousands of kicks probably did not, you know, help out with my hip. Sure. Which um, the story with that is, turns out they went and fixed it and it said, hey, you have hip dysplasia that was never diagnosed from when you were essentially born. So that's oh. that's why the the degeneration was accelerated. So so are, so are there things from from that practice from uh, Muay Thai and being that intensely involved in martial arts that you bring to business? Is that, are there correlations there or lessons learned or? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, martial arts, you know, is very much about discipline and control and keeping calm under pressure, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other side of it is just, you know, grittiness. To teach you how to be calm one of the things they'll, they'll do is they'll try and exhaust you first. They'll make you run and do push-ups, and so it's mm. push you a state of exhaustion, so that you're not, you know, so tense and so like gets you out of your own head because you have no energy left to to try and give to that. So uh, that grittiness. So when, of course, we lost all our contracts, for example, that's kind of when to dig in. For us, it was digging into social media and digital marketing. So. We said, okay, well, we're engineers. Let's learn this. We'll, we'll turn it into a science if we have to. But we took some courses. We watched like a zillion YouTube videos. Yeah. You know, we, we watched a lot of Russell Brunson. If you yes. uh, click yeah, funnels, funnels, he became our, our hero, essentially. Um, and then lo and behold, after implementing this for about three minutes, you know, we started recording, you know, our kind of homemade version of, of a podcast, right? talked about stuff we started putting videos out and then lo and behold three after about three months uh we started to gain a little bit of traction we started to you know target very specifically the people we wanted to connect with on linkedin mm -hmm. we started to produce messaging that was interesting we we learned what people liked and what they didn't like and then you know lo and behold we got a contract then we got another one then we got another one, another one and that's great and it worked it really worked for us um, and uh, would you say it's mostly on linkedin or on other channels too because a lot of people think of social media it's changing now but they never used to think of it as a b2b channel we used to think of it as more b2c right yeah like we're primarily on linkedin yeah I mean, that's that's definitely more professional and, and business related right we've recently started branching out into facebook um we've got a twitter account we don't really use that one much but then caitlin is having some fun with tiktok because i saw that she's she's learning tiktok yeah it's kind of a fun uh, new one and it's just one of the most up, up and coming platforms so although the audience right. is, is a lot younger for that particular platform um those people will eventually become business decision makers so and that's, you know, probably the biggest piece of advice. And, you know, Russell Brunson says the same thing, but don't, if you're getting into social media, pick a channel, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, pick one. And mm -hmm. just the one that speaks to you the most for us, business to business, LinkedIn made the most sense. Mm -hmm. If you're straight to the consumer, then like Facebook or Instagram might be a good place to start, especially because they're linked. If you post mm -hmm. on one, it automatically goes on the other. But yeah, pick one, kind of learn the language of one and get good at one. And then after a while, once you're good at it, once you've got a following, once you're feeling really comfortable and confident, then think about branching into others. Um, so, yeah. so is that your, is that your main source of, uh, of 
prospecting for business or looking for a new business is is social media now yeah linkedin 100 and are you doing other good. things or just just focused on social media and generating are you doing paid ads or are you doing primarily just uh, organic well we actually have yet to ever buy an ad okay good <laughs> we're, we're probably good. looking at buying our first ad soon here okay um well that's maybe that's you know trick number two uh ads everybody we meet so many people that say oh i, I spent a thousand dollars on a linkedin ad and it got me nothing right um but you know if you're on linkedin have you ever clicked on an ad that you didn't recognize even if you saw it a bunch of times yeah it has to be really in context yeah that. it has to be and so that's that's kind of the trick right is you build up your content and your following so people are used to seeing you they're used to seeing adam do these types of videos and say these types of things and right i think he's funny or he's witty or uh, you know he's got a nice mix of you know professional videos about consulting and other ones that are more personal and whatever and then i get used to him and then then i pay for an ad which is what we're doing now and all of a sudden his ad comes up and I'm like oh yeah that's adam i know that guy i'll click on it right right so you're you're kind of um hedging your bets before right. and unfortunately that just takes time that's not something you can cheat on you just have to do it for a for a period of time so we've been doing it now probably eight nine months like seriously okay so that's how long it took us to kind of build up following where i think between caitlin and i we've got nine thousand followers between the two of us wow with surprisingly little overlap, like only 300 people overlap or something. Which yeah, which we is a lot on, on on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and it, it turns out, you know, we'd meet all these people and we'd meet collaborators. We'd meet people like yourself, Bernie, and we'd mm -hmm. talk. And we'd be like, yeah, 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 we do managing something. Like, you know, whole business. We do culture stuff. We do process stuff. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, well, yeah, but I see your social content everywhere. Can you tell me about that? Mm. yeah okay sure uh this is what we do yeah wow how do you find the time to do that you know and that's well that was my next question is what what, yeah. what do you do for actually taking the time to do that and uh, are you doing it all yourself how does that work so it, definitely social it's daunting especially if you've never played with it i mean god knows it was for us like we had kind of dabbled before the covid and then fortunately we had some time on our hands but you know start with once a week 10 minutes you know put a post on whether it's linkedin or facebook or whatever you know you don't even have to make it um this amazing thing like people get caught up in this idea that oh i'm gonna put something on i need to professionally produce it i need to tweak all the you know hours they're, tweaking they're trying months. to make it epic exactly yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh and yes it will be epic but then we found that people just ignore that stuff they don't care the epic that we found for social media is being genuine, being raw and being vulnerable. So right. my most viewed video ever is I was working out and I took my phone like this and I filmed it and I was sweating and I was talking about grit. And I was like, this is what grit means to me. And, you know, it was kind of like pretty intense because I was like working out. Sure. And that people love, people ate it up, people loved it. Uh, and then I turn around and make like a really cool animation about root cause analysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you never you never know what's going to fly on the internet yeah and that's not to say that that stuff isn't important like i said it's good to have a nice mix because yeah. people 
they'll see the, you know, the Adam working out video and then they'll kind of check me out and then they'll see some of the other stuff. So it, it adds credibility to me if I have that professional stuff there as well. And what we're seeing now happening is people are going back and watching that. So, so stuff that had like no views before, now all of a sudden it's getting views because people are checking us out and kind of binge watching stuff our stuff. Right? Okay. Um, so in terms of time, and I say to people is, okay, don't try and like change your, your routine and change your life overnight. Like once a week, 10 minutes, post one thing, start there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, move to twice a week and then move to three times, eventually get your way up to once a day where it's kind of part of your routine. You're good at it. You're used to it. Yeah. You know, you've got your kids at the park. They're playing on the slide. You whip out your phone and you're like, hey, I just thought of this. You know, kids at the park is just like, you know, here's this great metaphor and blah, blah, blah. Right? Yeah. Um, so you can get used to it from, from that perspective. So um, sort of incrementally and developing comfort level with it. And yeah, exactly. It it's sense, like, because it can be overwhelming if you have never done it before. Yeah. It's like so a new skill. Familiar. Yeah. And I'm still kind of finding my, my voice, right? If you look some of my earlier stuff, I'm kind of quiet and I'll be like, Hey, this is Adam. I want to talk to you about this time. It's not that interesting. Right. Now some, as I get better at it, I'm trying to be more animated. Like, Hey, you got to check it out. This is amazing. Like, right. I'm trying to wrestle Brunson it up a little bit. Um, so you kind of find your voice after a period of time. So mm-hmm. you know, start small and recognize that at the beginning your stuff will won't be great and you know people always ask like oh i don't like being on video should i like do i have to be on video the answer is no you can do you can do video you could do just sound so like podcast mm-hmm. or you could write a blog like if you love to write then write like just yep. write cool stuff um yeah i think i think we all have to figure out what what we really can do well or enjoy doing usually it's connected what we do well we tend to enjoy doing so so i think that's really important to to be natural that way and be able to to figure out where that niche is where you have a comfort level uh, but that being said you don't do it you don't get into it without some discomfort and some effort right yeah 100 percent. and that's you know back to that whole thing with martial arts that's where the grit that's where the focus that's where mm-hmm. the you kind of have to just have faith because it's not going to work overnight. It's not like you're going to put a post and then wait for the phone to ring. It won't, right? right? You got to be yeah. consistent for a few months before, you know, you've got to do some targeted, you got to put in the work, you got to find, you know, filter out the people on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's great for this, right? You can use the LinkedIn premium sales navigator to search for exactly the people in the positions, in the geography that you sell to yep. and then go message them. And do it in a way that's not salesy. Like, you know, your your inbox is probably like mine, Bernie. Where I, you know, I get I don't know how many messages a day from marketers trying to sell me mm-hmm. stuff, and I pretty much ignore all of them. But then I might get one that says, "Hey, Adam, I, you know, I saw your profile, thought it was super cool, you know, would love to connect with you." Mm-hmm. And then I'll go check that person out. Yeah, this looks legit. Absolutely, yeah. let's connect. And then. Cool. And then I might get another message later. It says, hey, thanks so much for being in my network. Um, you know, you can see what I do. So I'm not going to try and tell you anything. But if there's anyone in my network I can introduce you to that you might feel valuable, please reach out. I'm happy to send you more info on what I do. Or here's a link to a cool video. 
you know. Yeah, I think what you're describing there is a conversation. So if you can have conversation yeah. with people, just yeah. like, you know, if you meet somebody for the first time, or some people do, but you, you don't, you don't get into, you know, sales pitches right away, you create some rapport, right, mm. is, is exactly. the most effective. And, uh, you know, I think it's the most acceptable for people. Yeah, and people always ask, like, well, that's a lot of work. Like, do you use automation for this stuff? And the answer is yes, I do. But I do it in that way. That the goal is to start a conversation, not mm. to sell to somebody. And that's very important because well, to understand you don't want yeah. everybody for a customer anyway, right? Yeah. And yeah. if I try and sell to people, especially automated, mm -hmm. you know, they ignore me. But but if I reach out in a very genuine way. I just use the automation to start the conversation. I have to get in the conversation. So when I'm running these programs, I spend a lot of time in conversations on LinkedIn with people, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them lead to meetings, some of them lead to referrals, um, but it, it, you know, it's a full-time job just doing that. And so are you doing all Zoom meetings now? Are you meeting with people in person or how's that working? Because we're in the time of COVID, so mm -hmm. um, it's inevitable we're gonna talk about that as well. Yeah, it's well, we've been a virtual company, you know, our whole existence. So it's right. been pretty much all Zoom. Um, and how long have you had the company? How long have you had the company going now? So it'll be six years. Yeah. And this is this will be our fourth year of full time where we're, we're in it, you know, like full time. So you had this as a side hustle to start with, it sounds like for a couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what was that so, process like? Because um, I've done the same where I've been working for enterprise companies and then had my internet business running on the side, um, mm -hmm. you know, and which has been, it's always been very good that way. And it's never seemed to hinder my performance with the companies, which is good. That being said, so how did that pan out for you guys? You know, I read, you know, and I think it might have talked a little bit about this in the e-myth, but uh, I can't remember mm -hmm. what book it was, but it talked about this illusion that to succeed as an entrepreneur, you need to drop everything you're doing and go all in and risk it all. Right. It's the big bet. And, and that is this false perception. And people do do that. And they, you know, they might win big, but they also might lose big doing that. And I said, you know, the most successful entrepreneurs, you know, um, think of IBM or Apple or, you know, they had it in their garage running on the weekends for a period of time mm -hmm. before they felt it was time to switch over. Right. So it's, it's being a little conscious of, what is your risk profile? How much can you handle and how can you yep. kind of hedge your, hedge your bets a, a little bit. Right. So, yeah, I think there's something to be said for proving the model, mm -hmm. uh, you know, having a minimum viable product, that whole concept and uh, proving that the marketplace is willing to step up and, and pay for it. Right. That it is a demand. So those mm -hmm. are, those are key factors. Yeah. I've done both actually in my life. I've gone all gone all in. And then I've, and I've done market validation type of process as well, especially nowadays, the, um, most fields are quite, quite saturated. So unless it's a really unique product and unique proposition, it really depends on the, on the, on the scale of it. I think this whole thing with uh, social media, for example, yep. like, I, I never in a million years thought that I would have this as like a main offering. So you were working for, you were, you were both working for companies. And then running the company, your company at the same time, yeah. were, the, were the companies aware you were doing that or how did that relationship work? Yeah. So 
What happened was Caitlin switched from an employee to a contractor. Then she was able to kind of balance contracts sure. inside with that. As a contractor, it would make sense that you have, that you have other contracts. Yeah, that, that's the nature of the relationship, right? Right. You know, the cost associated with that is, you know, working for a big company is they'll say, okay, well, you can't be in a management position mm. unless you're an employee, right? Um, okay. Or at least, you know, most will or, you know, there there are costs to, to saying that, right? And then for me, I was very much on the peripheral, but as we got busier, as my involvement became more and more and more, you know, absolutely, I had to let my employer know. That was just an ethical choice by myself yeah. to say, just so you know, I have this side gig. And they basically said, um, okay, thanks for telling us. Like, we don't love it. Like, we know where this goes. At some point, you're going to either choose us or that. Mm -hmm. uh, but thank you. Just, you know, let us know. Thank you for being honest and keep us up to date. So, so what words of advice, Adam, would you have for somebody? Because there's a lot of us doing that. A lot of people are doing that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, working full time for a company of, of some stature and then creating their side hustle. What advice would you have for people that are doing that when it comes to um, communicating that to their, to their current employers or just dealing with it in general? You know, I, I was struggling with this exact dilemma yeah. and um, a friend of mine just said, well, why don't you just do both until one or both blow up in your face? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, I could do that. Um, yeah, that, you know, that's that, an approach. Honestly, and that's approach a lot of people take because yeah. it is a difficult conversation and you're kind of putting yourself out there. But I would say, you know, honesty is always the best way because, right. you know, you never know what they're going to say. You know, I don't know what your relationship is with your boss or what the company policies are or whatever, but being dishonest and you kind of got, it's up to you to decide when that line is dishonest, right? Are you right. answering phone calls during the day? Is it interfering with your work? But ultimately, if your goal is to start your own company, but then it should also be to maintain that relationship with the company that you left, not just like, you know, explode the bridge and then take off you know, the sunset. So I think a real consideration might be too, is if you're in this, in a similar field, right? Mm -hmm. So if, um, you know, if I'm in building hardware, let's say, and then I, and I start a building hardware business on the side, then yeah, well, that, that would be an area where there could be a real potential conflict and you really want to get that on the table. Um, yeah, like that, you know, a conflict of interest like that, like, I mean, you could be looking at litigation if you did something of that nature, right? You so could, yeah. In that case, you know, your only choice, I think, is to switch to a contractor and say, I want to do other contracts. Like, yeah, that's a great alternative. It. A lot of people might not yeah. think of. Yeah, I mean, in my specific case, I was doing construction and the management consulting had nothing to do with that. So I wasn't right. stealing potential business from my employer. But in this case, if I was starting a construction business on the side, then yeah, now you're into ethical gray areas and uh, well, not even gray, like that's, that's pretty, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast a while back and, and there was a lady who had a really great approach because it is inevitable that employees will go off in different directions when they're in your company, right? Um, like at some point that relationship's probably going to come to a conclusion and they're going to go work for the competition or they're going to go find another career or they're going to retire or something's going to happen. Right. And um, 
So, so they had an approach in their company where they ask people to develop three life plans. And one of them includes going to work in their passion, whatever that is. Right. And then they yeah. nurture the person towards that goal and it increased their retention. <laughs> you know, I heard about that in a, I think it's called radical candor is the name of the book. Okay. But, you know, and the, the example was in an acquisition because yep. I don't know if you've ever been part of an acquisition. I have been a part of a couple now, but you know, you're part of a smaller business. You're really proud of it. It's successful. And then boom, some mothership comes and buys you. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're not sure where you stand or are you getting going to get laid off? Like, you know, if, if you were the VP before, well, now you're nobody like, so the, the people aspects are completely neglected. Like accounting and HR are usually aligned right away with the legal. And then, uh, you know, you end up with a lot of frustrated people that aren't bought into the vision mm. of the mothership. So enter exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Story that I heard, they said, okay, you know, let's have some conversations. Give me five, you know, dreams of dream positions that you might have or three to five. And the reason you don't just say one, because if you say one, people will tell you what they think you want to hear. Right. Well, I don't want to be manager at XYZ company. But if you say three or four, then you're going to say, okay, I'm going to be a manager. I'm going to be, you know, the best able-bodied employee, also an astronaut. <laughs> right. And, and then you can say, okay, awesome. So let's go through and let's, what are the skills you need to be an astronaut in all of them, right? Well, well, you know, I need to be technically sound. I need to be a good speaker. I need to know photography. I should learn to art, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and then we can say, okay, how can you know, into solutions, um, support you in this journey to becoming an astronaut. Because for us, it would be amazing if we could help you become an astronaut. And if along the way, those skills help us, then even better, right? And, and, and if you don't do that, then how often is the employee sitting at their desk going, oh, I could be an astronaut right now. Right, they're watching right. Star Trek, you know? Yeah, they're, they're not focused on tasks. They're thinking about the other possibilities that they're giving up to be in your employee, mm -hmm. right? There's there's a book I read recently called Drive by Daniel Pink, and it talks a lot about extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. So mm -hmm. for, for years, or for well, more than years, for as long as you remember, the carrot and stick extrinsic motivated model, right? Here's your salary, that's the carrot. And if you don't do your job, you're out of here. That's the, the stick, right? And I've been motivating people in that way. But, um, you know, there's been a lot of psychological and social studies that have proven that um, if you try and motivate people extrinsically with for anything creative, like if there's any sort of creative piece to it, then your performance actually goes down. The, the only time an extrinsic motivator helps is if the job is like very repeatable and very monotone. So if it's just like data entry or assembly line or something like that, then adding, you know, an incentive will actually increase production. But okay. anything creative ones, so any professional position, anything where there's, you have to make decisions about how to approach things or whatever, um, got to switch this idea of intrinsic motivation. And this is where the culture comes in. This is where your story about, you know, let us help you become an astronaut because we want you to show up here, you know, 
you know, people will show up and give you 80% of their time because you pay them. What we want is the 110 and that's all that's volunteered. Right. For sure. Yeah. I think that's an amazing strategy and I think it could be very powerful, but one of the, you raise a good point about one of the aspects I never thought about that is the fact that what, if there is a change in, in the company, the, the structure of the company, or there's an acquisition or something, then, um, then the person is already on a path. They already got a vision of what they're going to do. You know, in, mm -hmm. in my case with one company, they brought in consultants so. to work with me over, I think it was about eight months to put me on track, you know, this is going back about 15 years. Um, but yeah. I had a buyout and then the whole package, right? So I don't know if this would lead to reducing that requirement or that, that expenditure. I, I think it would certainly help. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the people feel lost um, when, when that happens, right? Sure. I, you know, my, I loved working here in 10 years, I was going to be you know, VP, I wanted to sit at the high table or, yeah. or whatever your goal was. Right. And now all of a sudden you're not sure where you stand. You're not sure like mm -hmm. who the people are, who's these new people in suits coming to the office. <laughs> what does this mean to me? Right. Like what's my, what's my plan B. <laughs> exactly. Change is hard and people can get frustrated. And you know, the other thing is misery loves company. So you'd be careful because if one person decides they're miserable, everyone around them, We'll start to adopt those same frustrations. So yeah, in a company that could be a cancer. And yeah, you got to cut it out. I, I've, you know, and, and that's where you know this idea about listening to people and, and talking to them, and um, you know, the whole idea of doing a performance review, you know, siloed, every, you know, semi-annually or annually or whatever, to me is was always so absurd. Like. One of the big companies that I worked with, I'd been there six months and I passed my supervisor in the hallway and I went to say hello and I couldn't remember his name. Wow. Because <laughs> I hadn't spoken to him. I was just working on my projects. He had his projects and there was no interaction. And yet, oh, semi-annual review time. Let's sit down and talk about our feelings and our goals. Like, Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have a genuine just... conversation like that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, so what do you, so what are you finding now as far as dealing with, you're dealing with smaller companies, like 25 yeah. people you were saying. Yeah. Um, so what are you finding, how do you find those companies are dealing with the work at home concept and, and um, with dealing with COVID and the whole change that's going on? Um, it's a mixed bag. Like some of them that are consultants that are used to charging on an hourly basis, uh, struggling a little bit with, um, you know, well, how do I know my employees are working if they're at home? I want them here so I can make sure they're working, right? Mm. Um, flex days, right? Well, if you're in the office working, you'll get a flex day a month. But if you're at home, you know, I don't know if you're going to the doctor or whatever, so you don't get a flex day. Stuff like that. Um, it's definitely a transition, like my point of view. And, you know, I collaborate with other HR experts that are much more knowledgeable about this than I am, but mm -hmm. is that there shouldn't be a difference. Your, your, your culture is your culture. If you have someone that you think needs motivating on your team and you have the wrong person, you, your people are there and they're going to work and you kind of have to trust them. Mm -hmm. There's no way around it. It's not going away. You know, is it going to be a black and white? We're all in the office or we're all at home. Probably not. Probably some hybrid version, but 
Um, this is definitely something that good people will consider. Like, hey, if I want to go work in Cadmore near the mountains, then I might take a pay cut to work at somewhere that let me do that, right? So mm-hmm. it's a culture shift for sure. And, and what I think complicates that even more is it's, it's harder to connect with people when you don't have that water cooler traffic, right? Where you're connecting, you know, in the kitchen or out in the, in the parkade or where you're just chatting out on the lawn, having lunch or whatever, right? So you have to be a little bit more deliberate about the connections you make and the quality of those connections. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and to, uh, for example, quarterly, we have, we call it an innovations day. And then we, I got this from that same book, Drive by Dan Pink. So a software company, I can't think of the name, it started this thing called FedEx Days because the idea was you, you create and deliver something in one day. Okay. So we take a full day and we actually just did this last week. Uh, cancel all meetings and you have one day to create whatever you want. It can be for business, it would be nice. But in keeping with this whole business idea, if you want to you know, like Caitlin did a painting. It was amazing. Oh, and then okay. the next day we have show and tell. And then we play Dungeons and Dragons and we celebrate. And we have this ongoing Dungeons and Dragons game going. Nice. Which sounds super nerdy, but we have someone facilitate it. So we don't actually have to know anything about it. We just show up and have some fun. It sounds like you're... An, Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying that that's an example of, of we were doing that deliberately keep us connected because we are a, a mobile team right it sounds like you guys have a, a knack or or a habit of of gamifying a lot of your your corporate culture and things which is great um you you have this escape room i don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about that oh sure yeah um you know if anyone's done an escape room where you know they put you in a room and they've got all these puzzles you have to solve and unlock the doors and everything um, once upon a time, Caitlin and I created one that could be done in a boardroom just with paper. And, uh, we said, Hey, like we can do this virtually. We've got some skills. We've got some software. So we created one and the, um, the premise is, I don't know if you've ever seen Gary V. He's like a big, yes. social yeah. Gary anyway, yeah. So he's got this behind him. He's got this amazing office with all these trinkets and on them is this Chewbacca mug. So we said, okay, let's, let's, let's make up a heist you know with the disclaimer that in no way do we support (laughs) but the goal is to steal the chewbacca mug from gary g's these office and you got to solve all these puzzles to get through the door and then to escape and blah blah blah. that's cool Um, so yeah will you give that away for free um i can give you the link you can throw it in the comments here when you post this but sure yeah you just play it online it's meant to be done virtually with the team so two to players two to four people you kind of log in, you do a puzzle, you have some fun. Have you have you informed Gary V about it? That, no, but uh, you know we we posted <laughs> it. We we've kind of connected. We had, well we did that on, on purpose because we were like, hey, this might be a fun way to get a thumbs up from Gary V or something like that. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, trying to cut through a noise to to somebody like that, well, that's hard work. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, you never know what's going to grab, you know, resonate with people like that too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another, uh, I was going to say another uh, example is last summer with a team, we did like an amazing race type event. So we helped these guys out with a bunch of processes and stuff and we said, hey, okay. we love puzzles and team building events. 
But the owner said, I can never participate because I'm always designing the whole thing. So ah. I was like, can you design me one so that I can? So yeah, it was like a few different locations with some puzzles and the next location and all that kind of stuff. So. And this was in a, in a hiking area or? No, it was in a kind of a few block radius. So okay. you know, it was a small company. So they did drive from location to location, but they, they decided they were okay with that risk of driving. So it was like from from COP, like the ski hills, to like a pub close by, to uh, nice. you know, nice. a park and all this kind of stuff. So cool. That kind of, so. That's neat. So you'll help you'll help people design those kinds of activities then. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, th those fall under the category I'd say of like kind of custom sort of. It, it's once. Like I said, we, we become part of the team. We become that generic sounding board or problem solver. And right. sometimes the problem is, you know, my team's worked really hard. They seem really stressed. I need, I need something to help them take the edge off. And um, unfortunately, because of COVID, it's not like we can just go out for a drink or bowling or something, right? Yeah, so especially now. It's, it's very tricky right now. There's a lot of, um, you know, we're all under so many restrictions and you can only socialize so much and then people have an apprehension of socializing too so if somebody like you guys can help put that together some kind of a solution if you will for yeah, that yeah and you know that sometimes the nice thing about having a third party or an outsider involved is you know people get tired of you know the, the leadership or the owner mm -hmm. giving speeches or saying we should do this or more of this or whatever but sometimes if you bring in an outsider it, it creates a safe environment where people can just do it without worrying about maybe internal politics or or, or things like that. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we've we found that's one of the values that we bring to the table. Great. I guess it must be like I think it's I think it's hard for entrepreneurs to figure out when they need help and when they should call somebody in because mm -hmm. I think in general, one of the one of the key not key but one of the characteristics of an entrepreneur is somebody who gets things done on his own right <laughs> mm -hmm. you know yeah absolutely and you know there's a lot of pride to that and you know yeah. that that is both what we found is an entrepreneur's greatest strength and then sometimes their greatest weakness because when it's just them they can you know they got that nose for opportunity or that nose for the sale or they're good at whatever they do and then they got a team behind them that's trying to follow their lead and then what, what can happen is now all of a sudden you're changing directions and you're, you know, oh, shiny thing, shiny thing. And the mm -hmm. team is pulling their hair out. So sometimes it's your team that's the litmus test for, okay, I need, I need help like focusing on, on one thing and, and like calming the, the whirlwind a little bit, right? To me, that seems like it would be a challenge trying to convince somebody who's probably pretty strong-minded and probably likes to get things done on his own or her own. Mm -hmm. and trying to convince them that you can come in there and add value and do it in such a way that doesn't how would i put it that doesn't undermine their their fragile egos 100 <laughs> percent. and you know this this is where that whole relationships and conversation comes in right like we'll have conversations with people like we had uh a client that uh, we did a bunch of work for but we went for lunch with that guy for a year before yeah. he finally agreed to hire us right wow. um 
Yeah, I mean, and then if you're just messaging people online, that that's where the the trust comes in, right? And usually it's like a small piece of work, right? Okay, produce this document, or can you review this? A good one is a business evaluation. This seems to be a common ground that we find sometimes where the sure. owners like, I know I need help. I don't know what I need. I just met you. You seem cool, but I don't know if I'm going to give you keys to the castle right away. And we say, hey, you know. We do a business evaluation where we come in, we interview all your people. It's not an audit. We ask you what's great, what's not great, what's working, what's informal, what's formal. And at the end of it, we give you some quick wins and some recommendations. And that, that's usually a nice place to start. And then they're like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. I can, I'll, I'll agree. That's a, you know, kind of a lower ticket item. And so then we spend a couple of days, anywhere from like one to three days in the business, depending on how many people and how deep they want us to go, or we just, just listen. Mm-hmm. And um, again, that's that outsider coming in and saying, hey, like, what do you love about your job? Or, you know, another great question is um, this, you know, psychologists use this one where imagine you're going to sleep and then while you're sleeping, somebody comes and waves a magic wand and fixes, you know, a problem mm-hmm. or your problems. So when you wake up, what is what is the new day at work look like with all that fixed um nice and you know kind of gives people pause on the you know the psychology about it is it's to help people realize that they are in control of their own destiny so do you see a a consistent theme and the answer to that question yeah and that's really interesting because we meet all sorts of personalities and with strengths um for example we have one client where he's, he's very you know, very focused, very calm, very deliberate. And we have another client that um, is a little more extroverted and is like, you know, talks a lot or whatever. And the solution for both of them was exactly the same. Huh. Was, okay, you first you should do a culture workshop because not only does that help you define your values and your vision and your mission and kind of your purpose, but it gets the whole team excited about, hey, we're doing something, what's going on? It kind of engages everybody and this is the kind of launch board into the next step where it's, we do what's called accountability mapping, where we say, this is the e-myth um, mm-hmm. thing, right? This is the hats. What are all the hats? And we, we map them all out. We say, okay, here's all the hats, right? You are the owner. You're, you know, you've got 20, but now we can look at it and decide when to take off a hat and give it to somebody else. And then right. we do you know, then we can maybe create a process around it so that it's done in a way that you like it to be done. And then from there, we go into, we've got a three-day strategy workshop where we um, help, we try and predict the future. We talk about the things that affect your business. And then we try and zoom in on, you know, the, the, the one things you should focus on, right? You can't focus, it's not a shotgun approach. It's narrow it down to like your one, one true north um, so that, yeah that that three hit combo seems to be you know what everybody what everybody needs we, we recommend it almost every time to everybody so getting everybody on the same page so doing the culture assessment mm-hmm. and then what's the second one that accountability mapping kind of mapping out all the hats right and then the third strategy workshop Strategy workshop. Okay. Yeah. So, so, this, so back to, back to the question, when you ask people in the, in the organization, if you wave the magic wand, what would mm-hmm. change? What is the most common answer? 
That's an interesting question. Uh, let's see. Usually it involves making your life easier. So if I'm talking to, mm. you know, the accountant, it's like, well, I wish everyone would do their timesheets on time and correctly because I spend so much time doing this, right? If I'm talking to the engineer, it's like, oh, I, you know, I just wish that, uh, you know, we had a library of pre-built CAD assemblies so we could just drop it in. It would be so perfect. We could just move things right. on faster. If I'm talking to the owner, then, then he or she will say, you know, I wish people would just stop depending on me for direction for every little thing and just take it and run with it. Right. right? Um, so it, it's really interesting in, in that way because we, we see then a kind of a three-dimensional picture of what is happening uh, in the organization. Well, I can see how those three answers would be super valuable and you can mm -hmm. come up with processes and optimize things to, to make the really opportunities for optimization, right? Yeah, and, and to be honest, what I'm looking for there with that question is not, not only understand the business, but I'm looking for champions because if I help create something, I don't work for your company. That's it's not going to help me if I know how it works. What I better is, I want the owner to connect me with somebody who's interested and willing to take this thing and kind of be the owner or engage with it. Right. You know, not everyone's willing to do that. A lot of people are quite happy just doing their job and they don't want to get yeah. involved. It's you know, it's the people that put up their hand up and say, you know, what would be cool if we did this. Those are the people I'm looking for. So out, out of that interview, now I've got a bunch of ideas. Now I have a list of names where I can go to the person who hired me and say, I think that you could do this. I think you could put Sharon in charge of it. I think it would be amazing. So she can so championship, champion the process. Um, mm. there, there, there probably is a, a need for the owner or the, the general manager, if you will, the CEO, to buy into the process too. How do you get... How do you get that to happen? Um, it depends on the company. Like, absolutely, there's an approval required, right? Because they, um, they could be the biggest roadblock to that to that person's success. Big time, big time. <laughs> um, and you know that happens. You know, oh, I'm we'll sure. have all this all this momentum at the start, and then it will just like fizzle as something else came up, and then you know all this work kind of because there's a momentum to this stuff, right? Sure. Um, but yeah, that, that's where we, exactly, we have to kind of define a different process. Okay, we're going to meet once a week, and these are things we're going to talk about. We try and make them short, try and make them very, you know, deliberate. Um, we try and project manage it as best we can, right? Um, I would imagine, too, if you can show, if you if you do things in the short term, or, or in smaller chunks, if you will, and you can show mm -hmm. the successes behind them, then that creates its own momentum, right? Yeah, I created a roadmap, right? Um, mm. All right, we're gonna start here, right? We treat it as a project, we'll create a little schedule, we'll try and stick to it. And owners love schedules, right? This is where yeah. I need to get to where, you know, what I paid for. Milestone. That type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What if somebody owns a company and they have that kind of situation where they think they need some help? What steps would you give them to identifying, you know, just what kind of help they need and to know when to reach out to the right experts. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know what? Uh, yeah, totally. The thing I would say is ask your team. 
right? Don't try and make this decision by yourself as the owner because automatically you're just kind of doing what you've always been doing and it's on the weekend on a pad of paper when right. you should be spending time with your family, you're trying to solve this problem, right? Yeah. So ask your team, sit them down like, hey guys, that same question. What are we doing great? What needs work? Blah, blah, blah. Come up with a list, do it as a team, right? Now you got a big list. Now you can look at that list and say, all right, you know, you guys can do this, you can do this and do this, but we're stuck here. How are we gonna get unstuck? You know, is someone gonna take a course? Are we gonna learn more? You know, money is faster than time, right? Right. With enough time, we can learn it and do it. Um, but if we bring in a consultant, we can get that value on, we can get it unstuck, we can go forward, right? So mm. that would be my advice. Because honestly, that's what we do when we come in is we ask your team. So, you know, if you did it, <laughs> Right. You're just, you're head of the game. You can right? lay the groundwork and you know exactly what to talk to the consultant about. Exactly. Yeah. I think and the, the biggest challenge the consultant is could even verify, you know, your assumptions at that point. Yeah. yeah that could be really interesting, right? Like, yeah. okay, I've got a list, but I want you to come up with your list and we're going to compare. <laughs> right. Is there anything else that you think you'd like to talk about or that, that I should have asked? Um... No, I just, you know, say to people out there, if you're starting a business or, or you have a business or you're thinking about digital marketing, for example, social media, you know, please re reach out. We give away like our top tricks for free. Okay. We have a course um, that, that we teach on that. So, you know, happy to help. We're always up for a conversation if you just want to brainstorm that kind of a thing. Cool. And, you know, we've got a million and one ideas and examples of team building stuff if you I uh, want to check us out. So thank you. So, so the team building thing is really the core of your, your business, right? The um, team building I, culture, those, that sort of stuff. That plus the process optimization. So there, there's like the softer side with okay. the harder side, I guess. Right. Got it. And, um, and so, so the, the, the branching off into the social media, do you see that being a bigger part of your business as you go forward or, or is it just uh is it, um, how would I put it, something that, that interacts well with your core business as it is? Uh, I'd say yes to both. And, okay. and the reason is, you know, I think um, historically social media has fallen under marketing and sales, for example, right? Okay. So your marketing team has a social media person that puts a post out once a week. Right. But, you know, through our work with like team building, through process optimization, strategy, all this kind of stuff, we're talking to people, we're hearing stories, like the most interesting social content comes from the field guy who solved the problem doing this. And that's why it was great, right? Right. The, um, you know, the administrator who noticed a safety concern and fixed it. The, uh, you know, the accountant that came up with a really cool way of tracking funds or whatever. These are the stories that are happening right. in your business all the time. And that's so the practical day in the life stuff exactly. that shows what yeah. people are doing, what they're dealing with and something that the audience might actually be dealing with themselves. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, you know, in that way, everyone in your company is an, is an ambassador for your company and you want to yeah. share those stories on, on social media because those human stories, those examples because i might have the same problem i want to hear that you solved it. i want to hear a positive story that you did it and i maybe i can do it too right so i think 
that's why it integrates nicely with what we're doing because mm-hmm. um, for us it's not just the marketing team let's share those those stories yeah that's really interesting because i do think there's a there's a really good uh collaboration to be had there between between the marketing and the day in the life kind of content mm-hmm. so that can be really engaging yeah, we actually, you know, we work with a software called Be Ambassador. We're the um, Canadian representative for it, and it does exactly that. Um, it, it allows your, it gamifies social media so that your, right. your people can interact. And but that's, you know, getting into the weeds a little bit. But and what is it called? Be Ambassador. So is that um, um what's the word I'm looking for? Hmm. it's a it's a software for for employees to to somehow uh, share the message with their audience yeah so for example a lot of marketing teams will use something called hootsuite which allows yes. you to schedule out social content mm-hmm. so not you're not every day in a panic trying to put it up you can schedule it for the whole month if you wanted um so be ambassador does that but the, the difference is is that it's meant for everybody um, and it gamifies it. So it allows you to hook up your own personal channels. Right. And an administrator for the company can curate contents and can create content. So when you open up your ambassador dashboard, there's all this content that your company has created and proved. And right. you can grab the pieces that you like. You can throw your two cents, throw it out to the world. Now, the, the cool part is, is that it's gamified. So you get points for doing that. And there's a ladder. So you can see where you sit with everybody else in terms of distributing content and you can add in incentives hey if you get ten thousand points you get a day off whatever right uh, you can run challenges if you're doing a product release you can say hey we're running a challenge who can get the most points in a certain amount of time and you can control what those points are for so uh, it, it's again combining software and psychology to try and drive a culture where people are excited about sharing the stories about your company. Yeah, I, I worked with a similar uh, platform. So we create all kinds of posts. And then of course, they, the employees can broadcast to their audience and put their own twist in it if they want. So it's very powerful. Awesome, yeah, we're, yeah. we're really excited about it. We use it for our company and it's, it's fantastic. So, cool. As far as your courses goes, can you want to describe that in a nutshell as well? Sure. So it's six weeks long, it's an hour a week. with a little bit of homework so the reason we do that is because we want you to get in the habit of posting that's the point Um, Uh, we've developed it digitally online so you could go and take the whole course you know in eight hours straight if you wanted but that's been we did that so that you can log in you have all these reference points all this material and that's theirs yours forever and then we meet once a week but the power is we do it in groups of 10 to 12 and we try and group you in with people that have a similar network. So if it's mm. oil and gas professionals, we try and group another oil and gas. If it's healthcare, you know, we'll try and group dentists with chiropractors and doctors and da, 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 da. So you, you're, you're with this group and it's like an amplification group. So you're all posting stuff sometimes for the first time and you're all interacting with each other's content, liking, sharing, commenting. Nice. And what you're doing is you're naturally amplifying your reach um, so that LinkedIn will actually start pushing you to, to the feed, right? Which is right. what you can do with a paid ad. We're not paying ads. And we've seen anywhere from four to 10 times um, the number, the, the reach with this type of 
things. So what we what we do is we we take some analytics of, of your profile before and then at the end, and you can kind of see the growth. And plus now you're you're with a group of people that you can network with and amplify. Awesome. So yeah, I think that's very yeah. powerful. The amount of engagement you have on a post is obviously going to help the algorithms uh, show it to more people. So success breeds success. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I'll send you a link. Basically, sure. We we give away you know some infographics with kind of our top tricks. Some of them we talked about. Yeah. And then you can have that for free, and then you can check out the course. We run them every six weeks. Awesome. Sounds like a great yeah. program. Good. Well, thanks for joining me today, Adam. Thank you for so much for having me, Bernie. This was a lot of fun. Good. My pleasure. And uh, hopefully we can do a follow-up sometime with Caitlin. You can see how she keeps me in line. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Well, take care, Adam. Have a great day. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Bernie. Take care. And that concludes this Bernie Chats. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, like, share, and feel free to comment. Thank you for supporting the channel. I look forward to seeing you on the next Bernie Chats. Thank you.